Welcome to episode 11 of the Faith in Real Life podcast. Today's podcast is for three types of people. So listen closely because you might get a free pass. The first type of person is the person who loves Bible studies. You have a big appetite for God's word and you may or may not think that you know a little bit more than your friends do. The second type of person who is going to benefit from this podcast is the person who would like to know more about the Bible, but doesn't take Bible studies because all of the type number one people who they might have to sit next to. So the third type of person who is going to benefit from this conversation includes all of the people who have a Bible somewhere. You just don't know exactly where it was because when you moved three years ago, you misplaced it or you keep it in your car so that it's handy for Sundays, which is a good idea. Or you just have it on your coffee table for decor. Whether you fall into type one, two, or three, we're glad you're here. I am your host, Amy Dalkey. I'm the host who has a lot of words to make a single point or two. I'm your host, James Thompson, and I listen to all those words as fast as I can. I'm sure you do. I'm sure you do. And Pastor John joins us today so that we don't go off the rails. I'm not concerned. <laughs> All right, so here we go. Today we're talking about 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, which was the fifth stop, fifth and final stop on the Bible Road Tour. And we're talking about how the Word of God is useful for our everyday life. So to start off, we'll go ahead and just uh, read the Scripture. It's, uh, once again, 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I guess to put this into context, this is Paul talking to Timothy and sort of reminding him of everything that he's seen and learned from Paul along the way, trying to keep him, to keep the faith, keep going, know what's important, and that would be ultimately the scripture of the Word of God. Would you agree with that, John? Yeah, and it, I mean, and it's in the context of there being a number of competing doctrines that are running around right. in, the, in the world at that time, so trying to encourage him to stay true to the gospel that was given to him. One of the uh, one of the things that I noted um, in the verses leading up to verse 16 and verse 12, uh, Paul tells uh, Timothy, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. That's cheerful. Wow. I mean, that's, yeah. that's part of the good news, right? right. Something to look forward to. It actually kind of fits with what we talked about last week, right? Yeah. Oh, you don't remember last week? <laughs> Was I here? <laughs> you were. Yeah. You were. No, John, I love how you pointed out that it was in a time when there were competing doctrines because that's kind of the same same situation we're in today where we have a lot of things that people say. We have, There are tons of Bible teachers out there from soup to nuts. I mean, there are tons of Bible teachers. And if we don't really know the word for ourselves, then we aren't sure if we're hearing a false teacher or not, because anybody can say anything. I mean, they've got so many avenues now, mm. you know, there are podcasts, there are blogs, there are easy access to half-truths. Well, I think too that what I think what concerns me more than false Bible teachers are those competing values and competing uh, priorities right. that are being pushed on us constantly. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, do the things that you see people who go to church, who go and listen to good teaching, look at their lives and see how far away they are from following Christ uh, you know, right. totally every day 
because they're they're swallowing false doctrine that is um, being pushed on them constantly. I think outside of the life of being right. in a church. So I think one of the things you said on Sunday was it's just the slight change mm-hmm. of what God's word is. Yeah. That is enough to get the person who is not steeped or not, you know, hasn't been doing a lot of studying, can easily sway them. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, this is what we see in, in Genesis, right, where the, mm-hmm. the serpent says, no, did he say, I mean, he uh-huh. just changes it just a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. And then, of course, you know, taking Scripture out of context, which is all what happened when Jesus was tempted mm-hmm. in the wilderness, where, the, you know, Satan knows the Scriptures, and he's using them in situations and in context that are not accurate, and then Jesus puts them back, and then right. that's when he, he flees him. Well, um, and I think those are the ways where I think people are easily sort of taken off course, and without going back to the Scripture constantly and actually learning um, and, and, and sort of internalizing that, it's really easy to, to get off course on those things. Which I guess is the purpose of, of this whole this whole verse, is sort of the way Paul sums it up, is we need to go back to the Scripture, and that's... Mm-hmm. And then what it's for, what its purpose is, and what it, what benefits you get from it. Right. Mm. I agree. And I'll just drop this in, too. Paul is also telling Timothy to look at my life. Remember the things that you learned from me. So if we don't have somebody in our life who we can look to, who is an example for us, somebody who is walking by faith in God's word, then maybe we ought to look for that person or somebody. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to the, there was the sermon that we did about a month ago about having right. Barnabas and mm-hmm. having a Timothy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Paul is Timothy's teacher. Right. And Timothy is his apprentice. And so there's that watch me and then do what I do right. kind of a thing. Right. And if we're called to be a, a Paul to someone else, <laughs> I mean... He's using his life as an example. My teaching, my way of life, this is verse 10. You know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my mm-hmm. faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions, my suffering. And he was a witness to all of those things. But, man, Paul had it rough, and he never lost. Right. He was, he was constant. As a, as a lawyer, I kind of think words are there for a reason, and words are not there for a reason. And so then I'd like to look at the words and see what, mm-hmm. you know, what, what purpose they have, what meaning they had. So uh, true. So I started at the very beginning of the verse, and so I've got just in the first five words is, is a lot of stuff. All Scripture is God-breathed. Mm-hmm. And so Scripture in this context is actually the written word. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the graphic. The right. graphic, yeah. We learned that in a Bible study not too long ago. And this is, this is the word in the context that's used for the Scriptures, the actual written word. Right. And then God-breathed. What did you learn about God-breathed? I didn't learn anything about God-breathed. Oh. So why don't you tell me what oh. you learned about God-breathed? <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> no, well, God-breathed is just a weird, you know, I looked it up. It's never used in any other context. And it seems to be a word that Paul sort of coined um, that, that's just sort of divine. It's it's God's actual words. Right. Um, and it, yeah, it's only used this one time in the New Testament. That in and of itself is pretty heavy because it's not just inspired by God. It's actually God speaking and it's from God. Right. So the scriptures are divine. And it's divine for the things that follow. Right. So it's it's not just God breathed in a vacuum. It's God breathed for this purpose. Well, yeah, and the next the next yeah. the next words is and right. is useful for. So yeah, uh-huh. it's it's from God and here's what it's for. Mm-hmm. I mean it's the purpose. There's a reason. Right. And then those are the four things I think that we were you were talking about. Just as somebody who loves words, all the things about words, some versions use is useful for and some use is profitable for. Mm-hmm. And I love the word profitable. Mm-hmm. Profitable, it makes your life 
It brings benefit. Yeah, it's just good. throwing it in there yeah. for fun. Yeah. The first one is teaching. Teaching. It's useful for teaching. Which that seems pretty self-explanatory. I don't. I don't know that I got anything out of other than for instruction and and the, the uses that this term is. Other words that mm-hmm. other references um, that I found were sort of in training children, actual right. learning situations. I think something that's worth bringing out is that when we sit down on our own to read the word, to study the word, we aren't on our own. We can bring like zero intellect into into our study time because it's the Holy Spirit within us who leads us into the truth for our lives, mm-hmm. right? You don't have to be a PhD in biblical studies to sit down and read the Bible. Right. And I think too, like commentaries and study notes Mm -hmm. can be helpful um, because they they can help to explain things that we might miss or want to know more about. But I think there might be a little danger in studying commentaries more than you actually study the scripture. When if they're God-breathed and they're useful for teaching, which the way I frame teaching is showing us the truth, if they're God-breathed for that, then any person who has a third-grade reading ability ought to be mm-hmm. able to sit down with their heart open to the movement of the Spirit and enter into that experience and leave uh, better for it without having any background knowledge of anything. Right. Do you think? I, I yeah. agree with you wholeheartedly. Yeah. In, in fact, I had a professor who we would go through Mark 5, for instance, and we had to go through that entire chapter without ever opening a commentary, a word study, anything. Mm-hmm. And we had to break it down like into its into the parts of speech in mm-hmm. the sentence. And when you look at a, a passage like and really study it, taking okay, who who's talking here? What's it talking about? Like subject, verb, direct object, and right. you know, all of that stuff. I mean, even if you you don't get nerdy like that, yeah, I mean, I think that there's so much you can get out of it without ever going to another resource. Mm-hmm. And that's what I like about, and that's how I approach it too. I mean, I look at each word mm-hmm. and, and sort of in the context of the sentence. And so you are a nerd. Uh, yes, I, but I think that you know the way I. So when we were, when I was taught in preaching class, what we were taught was that we ought to study the passage, you and mm-hmm. the Bible, mm-hmm. just together, right, with the Holy Spirit leading you. And then um, and and resist the temptation to run to the commentaries until you had really wrestled with it. Right. But then what we were taught was go to the commentaries and seek the um, insights of another person. Mm-hmm. But remember that what you're finding in the commentary is not necessarily God breathed. Right. It's just another person's opinion on that same text. Right. And so basically, what you're doing is you're entering into a podcast with friends almost there like you where you're just kind of mm. having conversation mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and some of these fe- people in the commentaries I mean they are conversation partners that do have PhDs and so they're very they've, right. they've really looked hard at these things and mm-hmm. wrestled with it but they have no greater access to the Holy Spirit than a third exactly. grader it's always good to keep in mind that if you think God is saying something to you in scripture that is clearly contrary to what he said in other places in scripture yes it's probably not the holy spirit talking to you yes it's so good to have the broad sweep of scripture so that you can uh, what john wesley called it was the analogy of faith which i always thought was a weird term but having the big story in mind Mm -hmm. as you read specific passages will help you to understand those specific passages the commentaries that i like best are the ones that put give me sort of the historical perspective mm-hmm. so not necessarily what what they think the passage means okay. so much as right. i love the ones that just give me sort of the history of what the customs were mm-hmm. um and i know there's a whole 
commentary on like Jewish customs and, and all of that stuff. But that that's the one. Those are the ones that I really really like. I've got a I've got my Bible's a Thompson chain reference, and what I love about those kind of Bibles, because it has your last name, that's yeah, why you like besides it. Besides that, and the commentaries is that the consistency of it all. Mm-hmm. I have a I have a this Bible. You know, you read one a day, and you you know Old like Testament, New Testament, one year Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Psalm, Proverb, and it's amazing how you're reading Deuteronomy, and then there's a passage in there that that's very topical to today, uh-huh. like. You know, God saves you not because you did anything special. Uh-huh. In fact, you're stubborn. Okay. <laughs> the word stubborn, like, you know, God knows that, you know, you're, you're, you as a people are stubborn, but God loves you anyway and has chosen you. And so he's going to, you know, things are going to work out for you. Uh-huh. And so, but it's, it's just amazing to me that that message, constant redemption, you know, you're going to fall away and I'm going to come get you. I have a plan. And, and even no matter where you are and in, in, as you're reading, it just seems that that consistency is what I find very comforting. And it's it's one of those things, the more often I find that theme in the Bible, uh-huh. I think it's less easy to take things out of context. I agree. So, like, sometimes you'll, you'll have, you know, some guy on TV, and they use one verse, and then they give a... And when you don't put it in context, when you take one verse, you can say whatever you want. Sure. Um, and I think when you have this verse, we're going to rely on this verse, and then I've got six others that show you how that's consistent throughout. I find a lot more comfort in that, and I find that's probably more accurate. You know, what's crazy is how many things that Jesus said. His speech was so thoroughly scripturally informed. Well, I mean, he was Jesus. But I mean, like... He was the Word, It's right? crazy to me. Reading, reading, when I read the Old Testament, I'll come across like a phrase or like a few words, and I'll be like, he said that. And then you kind of go, wait, maybe he, when he said that, he was referring to this passage. Right. Touch points mm-hmm. on these other mm-hmm. things, which I think is so amazing. The other thing I was going to say is, and I'll try not to talk too much, the... Uh, what freaks me out um, in, the, in a really great way is when I'm reading my devotional, like I have a devotional plan that I read, and then I have my sermon study that I read. Mm-hmm. And then people, because I'm a pastor, they like to send me inspirational devotional things. But what, what is so crazy to me is when I start seeing uh, consistencies in that, which would appear to be so random, but then I realized this is something that God really wants me to hear. You know what I'm talking about? That's the coolest thing. The living active part of it. That's the God-breathed thing, I think. On the consistency thing, this is one of the things that makes the Bible unique, is that there's no other book. In fact, the Bible is 66 books, right? And there's 40 different authors, and it was written across 13 or 15 centuries, and there is the consistency, the unity. The authors of these books weren't bouncing their ideas off of each other or sending each other texts about, what do you think about that? You know, they didn't even have iPhones back then. Mm-hmm. But it's unified. There's one theme, and that's God's redemption. Well, going back to the teaching thing, it's amazing to me how many times things are repeated in different chapters. So, like, I'm you know, in the Old Testament, it, ha- it seems to happen a lot as they're... As they're Heading into the promised land, and that's you. Obviously, I can tell you where I am when in my in my studying on the. <laughs> but the uh, as as they go into the promised land, they're constantly Moses is constantly repeating the same things over and over again. You need to do this. You need to keep the laws, and things will go well with you. You need to obey the laws, and things will go. It's not just one or two times. I mean, it's like eight times, ten times within the course of you know four or five chapters. You have people that say, you know, if you see it a couple of times, it's got to be important, right? Right. But then again, you know, isn't that how teaching goes? You know, mm-hmm. some people learn by repetition, and I know I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my kids maybe not, but it's one of those things. But just that that teaching of I'm going to constantly repeat this to you over and over again. 
because it's that important, and yet we still we still don't do it. That consistency and that repetition, I think, are I find useful to get stuff down to actually right. remember it. So that's teaching. Did you have anything else on teaching? Nope. The second one is rebuking, and as you had mentioned before, I think the the version that you mentioned was reproof. The NRSV uses the word reproof. And that is not a term or a word that I was very familiar with prior to Sunday, I'll tell you. I had to actually look that stuff up. Well, fill us in because I like what you said. Well, on Sunday, you mentioned that reproof was it convicts us of our sinfulness. That the the scriptures are useful for convicting us of our sinfulness. Yeah, and and I like the terms exposes our rebellion. It shows what was maybe hidden. It exposes it. Right. And what it exposes is our tendency toward rebelling from God and rebelling against his will, Mm -hmm. which can so often be sneaking around in our life without us really knowing it. Scripture has a way of drawing that out. It's like a mirror. Right. Because I didn't know what that word is, I Amy showed me a while back how to look up to the Greek word, um, and so I did that. And it's not—I'm not even going to try to pronounce it for you. But it was a term that was used only twice in the New Testament, here in this case, and then once in Hebrews. And sort of the gist of it was—and if you put it in context—the scriptures would be useful in proving to you things that are unseen. Which it's amazing that they even have a word for that. Yeah. But I mean, in the context of our faith. We don't see those things. And so this, you know, if you, the more you read the scripture, the more you learn the scripture, it will prove and convict you of and help you in the faith of those invisible things that we can't see, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which I thought was just amazing. The other, the other instances is in Hebrews 11, 1, where it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Mm-hmm. And so it's consistent in, in those two passages that actually scripture will help us in strengthening our faith. Mm-hmm. That blew me away. I think that the word reproof or the word rebuke, I don't know. It's like, you know, when you come to the word and you read something and it does make you uncomfortable, that's when I want to just like flip over and find a psalm that evokes like happy, comfortable feelings. But I've come to see how, no, I don't wholeheartedly embrace this, but I've come to understand that reproof is God's invitation to fall in line with him, that life really is better doing things his way. Mm. And instead of running away from that reproof, to run towards it, because that's how God shapes our lives. Mm. It like, transforms the way that we think. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Those two words, reproof, you know, was uh, one I hadn't heard. Of course, I knew rebuke, which is some of the other translation, which I, I have a negative connotation with. Right. The only other instance where you, you, when I hear rebuke in the Bible is... Get behind me. Right, right. And in that context, I guess, what is, you know, what's going on? He's putting his beliefs, his worldly ambitions for Jesus above what Jesus' plan is. And so then he rebukes them. And which I guess, I mean, it goes in, it shows our sinfulness in that, you know, we're putting our own interests... So, I mean, it's consistent with both definitions or both right. sort of words. The rebuke is different. Yeah, rebuke I don't, I don't find as a, as no. a good thing. <laughs> right. I don't find that. Because like, yeah, the next get rebuked. Yeah, the next word is, is correcting, mm-hmm. which I find as a rebuking uh, in a nice way. Right. But, yeah, the, the rebuking is a very harsh word, I would at first blush. Yeah, I've never been told at the end of a worship service, I am so glad the way you rebuked us. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's not something people want. I can't wait for next week. And the next one is correcting, which when I looked up that word, 
It's used one time in the Old Testament, I mean in the New Testament, and the definition that it was given from the Greek was sort of restored to its proper condition or straightened out. I like that. I mean, that, that, that was comforting, that the more you read the Scripture, the more you'll correct what you've done wrong, or you'll, your, your sights will be set anew, um, you'll be restored. And what is it restores to proper condition? Proper condition. Okay. Because when God created us, he created us in his image, mm-hmm. and then sin, and then Jesus, and then now when we read the word, it is what restores us to our proper condition, which is to be images of God on this earth. End of story. We could stop the podcast right there. Yeah, it was correction, reformation, and setting straight again. Uh, so it connects to sanctification because... If we've been justified in Christ, right. we're restored to our original image, right. then then Scripture has a way of sanctifying us, kind of restoring us to that, right. bringing exactly. us back. So what a benefit. What a beautiful, wonderful benefit. And then I think the, the last one, and I guess this is your fourth one, is and training in, the, training in righteousness. righteousness. What I got out of that was just just in the eyes of God. Is, I guess the concept of righteousness, just, just in the eyes of God I can get, but the word ju- uh, righteousness is used tons of times, hundreds of times. And the contexts are always sort of the same, and then they differ in a couple of different ways, and that's something I definitely need to, to work on and learn more about. The righteousness, it, we're, we're to pursue righteousness, um, according to you know a couple uh, verses later that, that Paul tells mm-hmm. Timothy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess my simple definition of it is it is right living. And so to be trained in right living, the way that I expressed it on Sunday was that it, sh- it helps us to get in shape spiritually. Other verses that I found applied here were in Samuel the Lord renews everyone for their righteousness and faithfulness Hebrews no disciple we've talked about this in the other last a couple weeks ago no no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful later on however it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it and then of course Romans Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes so being trained in righteousness is obviously a very good thing and something that we should strive for Okay, so now let's go to the like the real life part of this. Like, how do we do this? All of these things that we talked about are just words, unless we're actually reflecting these words in our lives. So, how do we make the Bible a part of our everyday life? I mean, can we just read ten minutes a day, call it like we were challenged to, and and call it good? You know, how do we go forward? I think we can. I think I think just if we would commit ten minutes. I'm sure you would find that that 10 minutes easily turns into half an hour without you. It's the act, I think, of just sitting down mm-hmm. and starting, whether it be 5 or 10 minutes, 15 minutes or whatever. I think that would just get you started. And then I think the Holy Spirit will probably convict you to keep on reading or, you know, to keep that going. Right. Setting aside time, I think, is probably the hardest part. I actually Googled how to incorporate Scripture into your holy into your everyday life. Google knows everything. But as I got to how to incorporate Scripture in... The browser auto-filled into my spa party, <laughs> which I thought was kind of odd. I would have never thought. Yeah, that's um, random. That's yeah. very random. And I'll tell you, I actually spent time thinking about how to do that. Get into a spa party? How, how to incorporate scripture into a spa party. Because <laughs> I think before you go get your feet done, you got to dust the feet, dust your the dirt off of your feet. Okay. That'll preach, right? Yes. And then, and yes. then, then somebody washes your feet. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. And then we're called to be the hands and feet, so why shouldn't they look fabulous, right? Those are my tips for how to incorporate scripture you into your spa party. But um, how to make it communal? Because a spa party would be that you're ah, fellowship doing this with. There others. you go. You can take those away and use those on your in your everyday life. But when I actually filled in the rest of the sentence in everyday life, there was a, a number of things that I think we've talked about over and over again 
Um, and I'm sure everyone's has an idea of, of how they can do it. They just they just get started. Family Bible study time. Right. And we've tried to do that at my house with a, with a short devotion. So one or two verses at a time. Spiritual statement for your family. Now, this is one that I have thought about incorporating and we'll be doing um, tonight, actually, at my house, where we try to put what our family's goal is and we will incorporate how that is going to be in line with what God's plan for us. Like a mission statement? Yes. Yeah, a family mission statement, which I know it's very highly effective people. It's very covey, but I think it's it's something that I think could be very useful. Um, Attend church together. Create a blessings journal. Now, we, we, we try at our house, we write down prayers of Thanksgiving and just regular prayers. And we try to keep track of how those are answered from prayer time to prayer time to track them, to kind of give the kids an idea of, of writing down and, and kind of seeing how God has actually dealt with some of those prayers. You know, I, I don't normally make it a point to make you look good, but I can actually verify that this is legit. <laughs> because you and Missy, you will follow up on a prayer request that I've already forgotten about. A prayer request that I made that I totally forgot about. James and Missy will remember. Yeah. I think they actually do pray about these things, which is fantastic. Yes, I mean, I say that in a very, <laughs> yeah. I joke with you. You're all right in my book. but Very, very tongue-in-cheek, yes. But we, we try, because um, I think, you know, it's one of those things, when things are going good, you tend to just forget and ignore Absolutely. and then when things are going good it's you need to make a conscious decision and I'm, you know it's hard you know i try to try we in the context of telling the kids god is telling me right this is always how yeah. it goes there are those around us that are hurting who are they you know think about your friends did, did they mention something mm-hmm. and you know zoe or lex would be like oh yeah so-and-so's grandfather or isaac's had a friend you know who, whose father passed away and he still talks about that you know that he's very concerned about that and so we need to consciously be looking. There, there are people um, that right. we know that are that are struggling with something. Pray together before meals, which seems like it's very basic, but you hardly ever see it when you're out yeah. and about. We tend to do it when we're at the house more. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because the kids are, the kids are sort of set in their ways. Like Zoe will thank God for food and having the day. Uh, Isaac is everything that was fun that day. He's thankful. <laughs> nice. And then Lexi recites what happened. Thank you for letting me wake up at eight oh five. Thank you for breakfast at 8.30. Lexi, baby, I think I think God was there. I don't know that you need to yeah. tell him what your schedule was. Guard your home. This is something that I think I have to do more deliberately, and that's keeping things out that have a negative influence, shows and, wow. and songs and that sort of thing. Learn old hymns. We actually have some a study guide that we got at a, at a homeschool convention to have the kids learn traditional hymns because we go to the contemporary service so we never hear them, and old hymns are just chock full of scripture. Oh, I love hymns. And then, do you have any that you could incorporate? I don't know that mine are much different than what you would have said, but I love scripture. I've memorized scripture from the time I was in college, really started a practice of that. And so I always have like a spiral note card thing that I, I flip that I have the scriptures that I'm working on memorizing. And then I rehash like all of them at one time. I don't know. I think memorizing scripture is basically. See, I used a lot of words to make one single point memorize scripture. There well, you go. and that was that, that's one of the ones that was discussed that I didn't mention. It was develop spiritual goals, and this was the Bible study, which I think ties into what John was saying. Right. The ten minutes, tithing, uh, serving, and then scripture memorization, um, which the, you've talked about a number of times, and having a big card collection on that. And one of the things, I, one of the things that, that popped up on when I was just searching, trying to 
find ideas on how we can incorporate scripture in our daily. One of the results said, how can I saturate? It was, that was the word they used, my life with scripture. And one was this um, scripture cards that you've mentioned and you still have internalized those. I tell you, okay, so I even have these specific passages that I correlate with, okay, in when I'm in the shower, like I quote Ephesians 1 and 2. When I'm brushing my teeth, I quote Ephesians 4. Like, it's it's different things in my life that are almost like, I don't know, I just connect with, with certain things, and I'm not saying go all crazy like that, mm-hmm. but when you... When you're working on memorizing scripture, like John has had the congregation do in the past, that scripture's on your mind, and you think about it, and you can't be quoting scripture in your mind, and at the same time be plotting how you're going to make that person pay for how they hurt your feelings. It's just Mm. not how it goes. So, Mm. yeah, I think it's super important. Yes, I think it's true. Even for the people who say they couldn't memorize anything. One of the ideas that, that was also put on the, on the site was play scripture where you need it so that it's there as it's needed. And so I was thinking this would definitely be helpful on my kids' doors. I think Hobby Lobby probably wrote that. Article. Well, that's the other one. The, the, and I think we've come full circle, right? The, the, one of the, the top five things that this person was, was, had on their blog was use scripture art in your home. Right. So when I read that, I went around the house. Missy was still sleeping, so I got up and I went around the house and I counted eight, no, seven different verses on various things hanging on the wall or in the, within eyeshot in the living room and the, the kitchen and the laundry room. I had seven verses and I had one lyrics from an African-American spiritual song. And then when I told, when Missy got up, I said, hey, I counted, you want to guess how many she had? She said, no, nah, about 22. Mm-hmm. And I said, no. And then she showed me another seven or eight that I had missed mm-hmm. on, you name it, plaques, pens, mm-hmm. kitchen magnets, chalkboards, picture frames. And the scriptures are all sort of the, you know, they're none of the, only one of them is one of the ones that we did on our tour, huh. which was Romans eight twenty eight, And then um, Be Strong and Courageous was another popular one. But the one that I thought sort of brought us back to what we were talking about today was Psalm one thirty seventeen. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him and his righteousness with their children's children, which incorporates Mm -hmm. the teaching and and correction and all of that um, and keeping God's laws. Yeah, we do that. And, of course, we're recording now in the, what is this room called? The prayer room. The prayer room. Okay. Which is just inundated with scripture (laughs) scripture on the the walls. So how many many do you think you have up? Do you have Hobby Lobby uh, treasures that are on your... I do. I don't know. I would have to. I'll go around and count today, and I'll let you know. I'm assuming that's every gift you ever get, besides we Bibles. Get a lot of, we get a lot of gifts of that sort, and it's it's very sweet. Yeah. Well, I mean, it goes along with back to scripture. Write the word on your doorposts and on your gates, so that it will be well with you and your children. Right. right. I mean, it's the Deuteronomy six thing. Yeah. The Shema was it. The Shema, and then the thing about the doorposts, and then on your forehead. Right. I think for anybody who really understands common sense, it probably goes without saying that it's one thing to read the Bible, but then it's just reading words if you don't understand and apply it to your life. 
Right. But I, I think I would be a real life example of somebody who knew a whole lot about scripture at one point, mm -hmm. but whose life never really reflected it and was always frustrated about, but why don't I have this joy or why don't I have this peace? Maybe because it wasn't applying what I was learning. Uh -huh. Because you walk it out by faith. Well, you hear some of these things going on daily with, with kids nowadays. And I, I had started to do this with Isaac and, and the kids, but I hadn't, I hadn't kept up with it. But I got 10 verses. I wanted him to memorize about his identity in himself. And, you know, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, um, that he was made in God's image, so that we could instill in him worth that God has placed in him, that we love him, you know, those verses that we love him, that he is to honor his parents, but also that the people that he's angry at are also made in God's image mm. so that they have value. I think, <laughs> I think children nowadays, I think just people nowadays have, are so quick to just take any value, take away the value of someone else. I mean, they demonize them. You know, you can go into politics all you want, but it's, it's, they treat each other so badly because they don't see that other person as a reflection of God. I've, I was, you know, I started to do that with Isaac and I was like, I, you know, there was like five or 10 verses and he didn't have to give me the book and whatever. That wasn't important. The message was that he's fearfully and wonderfully made. That he, you know, he's a reflection of God. And, and to, to kind of go through that, I need to do that. That's very convicting. You just got reproved? <laughs> I've been reproved. <laughs> Put that on a shirt. Nice. Okay, so I think it's time to wrap up. But one of the things that... Okay, so John gave us a challenge. And that was to read 10 minutes a day. The and, first 10 minutes. Yes, the first 10 minutes of the day before you even do anything else. That is to be the number one thing. For those who were in church on Sunday and heard the sermon live, then you gave them a reading plan, right? You had a printed reading plan. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to throw this out there because just in case you weren't in church on Sunday or you didn't pick up the reading plan, there's a an app called the U version, Y-O-U version. It's the Bible. You can read the Bible in several different translations. But also you can access various reading plans, and I think that that would be just a good suggestion for somebody who needs the Bible, like, on their phone, so you don't have to carry around your Bible. Have that app right next to Facebook. That way you have an alternative there you go. when you're Perfect. stuck in picking up your kids. But I have, I have additional suggestions about it. Go for it. Well, uh, I had this mentor once who told me that he thinks that there is something valuable in establishing a ritual. Oh, absolutely. This, you sit in the same chair, mm -hmm. you, you use the same Bible that you, you set up almost like a little devotional station in your house. Mm -hmm. It could even be in your closet, but yep. like just a spot. I don't do it the exact first 10 minutes because I, I like to have a cup of coffee when I do this. Right. So there is the making of the coffee that precedes mm -hmm. the 10 minutes. But having, having that and sitting in, a, in the same spot, I think doing that over and over, it starts to become... Like your your body starts to actually desire to have that right. time, and I think it helps a lot rather than it just being when I have ten minutes. You know what I'm saying? I know absolutely because yeah. part of your daily habitual schedule. Yeah. And just like you learn to brush your teeth, you well, we're still working on that with Luke, so we haven't won that one yet. But um, it, it just becomes a part of your everyday yeah. life. Yeah, I think it's beneficial. I think it's awesome. And if it's the first thing you do. You'll never not do it. You'll never not do it. No. You'll never have a reason not to. And you know what? The, the, just so, and I'm thank you for those other ideas for plans, right. but I did test the plan. I timed it to see, and it, and it to read the, the four passages that they, they suggest. Mm -hmm. it, does t it takes about 10 minutes. Very cool.
And that's for the whole Bible? That's for the whole Bible. Ten minutes a day for a year will get you through the Bible. Very cool. Now, maybe I read a little quicker, I don't know, or slower, I don't know, but it took me ten minutes. Well, there you have it. Okay, so for next week, we're going to go kind of off script. We've ended this sermon series, but we are going to kind of be different. This is going to be all about listener participation. So we would like for you to send an email to faithirlpodcast at gmail.com and ask us a question, suggest a topic. I think this is kind of free-for-all. Like, what do you want to know? Obviously, we're limited in our expertise. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm eager to see what maybe some a verse that, that you guys like that wasn't part of the tour, but uh, that you really enjoy or, or you share with others, I guess. Yeah, or just anything. Or we could talk about our favorite TV shows. I, I'm kidding, probably not. That's not the point of the podcast. Yeah, Breaking Bad will preach. <laughs> <laughs> Cut. <laughs> All right, so until next week, we do challenge you to read your Bible for 10 minutes a day. <laughs>